Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. Welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I am Tom Dorian, the sidekick to the legendary Deacon Jeff Drzymski, who happens to be sitting on my right. A legend in my own mind. You are a legend in your own mind. Actually, no, you're a legend in quite a few folks' minds. I don't, I don't, know, if I, I don't know if I can live up to that. Oh, I think you can. Uh, and now, who's our waitress today? Anne. Wonderful. Anne's going to be our waitress, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Because Anne's, Anne's a, a very good waitress. She is. She's very good at what she does. Very prompt. So we should probably get on with our show, shouldn't we? We should, and we have a very big treat today, don't we? Absolutely. We have a wonderful treat today. I can't wait. Everybody's going to be very excited to hear you know, from this uh, guy. Everyone knows that when you die, you go to one of two places. You go to heaven, if you've been a good boy. And if you've been a bad boy, where do you go? You're supposed to go to hell or? Well, we're going to talk about the okay. or today. Right. Because if you talk to a non-Catholic and you're saying, you know, when they say, oh, you Catholics have added a third place you can go, yep. heaven, hell, or purgatory. So today we're going to talk about purgatory. We're going to let folks know what purgatory is, what the Catholics believe about purgatory. That sounds great. Um, obviously, there's some burning questions that come with this whole purgatory thing. Like burning questions. Did you notice the uh, pun there? That was good. You'll hear more about that later. Did you but plan that? I did. It's written on my piece of paper here. Burning questions. Dot, Excellent. Dot, dot. So You're good. We want to know. Here are burning questions. You know, why did Catholics invent purgatory? Wasn't Christ's death sufficient payment for our salvation? So why would we need to have purgatory? And where do you find the word purgatory in the Bible? These are all wonderful questions, and we're going to address all of them during our show. And so to help us in that process, um, while I was up at the front counter buying Tom an entire (laughs) banana cream pie. uh, Okay, just for that, you will get none. (laughs) So I was buying this pie, and I ran into a buddy of mine, buddy of ours. Mr. Bill Drennan. Good buddy. Bill is what I would call an average Catholic. He's not. I, in, I think he's above average, but that's uh, well, I a whole understand. other conversation. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. And so, Bill, I said, Bill, you know, come and sit with us in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and let's talk about purgatory. What do you think? How do you like the booth? It's very nice. It's luxurious. There's no doubt. Very soft, comfortable. Yep. That's the way it's supposed to be. Uh, it's kind of like heaven. A little heaven on earth. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Catholic Cafe and the luxurious corner booth, Bill, and we're glad to have you here. Thanks for bringing me over. So we brought you over so that you could sort of help us walk through this concept of purgatory. Oh, boy. Yeah, so first question, why did Catholics invent purgatory? Now, you're standing in line at a fast food restaurant and someone says, hey, you're Catholic, aren't you? Why did you guys invent purgatory? What's that all about? Right. Would you know what the answer is? I would give it a shot. Now, here we are. We're going to get a shot from average Catholic. Bill. Average Catholic. First of all, I would say, no, we have not invented it. And purgatory has been around since Jesus founded the church. And it's, you know, just really a, you know, a place where we go to get purified. And I know uh, in numerous places within the Bible, it talks about... Um, a cleansing and being perfect before we're with our Father. And most of us have to go through some process before we get to heaven. Well, that's actually very good. Uh, that's a wonderful explanation. And I think I would give you an A-. minus. About right? That's above uh, average. That is above average. Yeah. Nice work, above average Catholic Bill. Of course, there were a few things we need to uh, correct or to clarify. 
But before we do that, let's find out what the church officially teaches about purgatory. And a good place to do that is in the catechism of the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. So we're going to crack open our catechisms. Uh, we're going to go to paragraph 1030, uh, which talks about purgatory. And it also names purgatory as the final purification. So that will sort of tell you what Catholics teach about purgatory. And there it says, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. And that's a lot like what Bill was talking about. Now, one of the things I do want to differ with Bill on is that we don't actually teach that purgatory is a place. A lot of people think of purgatory as like sort of a waiting room or a lobby <laughs> before they can go into the uh, uh, the main auditorium to, to see the show. Mm-hmm. You're sort of waiting there, and you might see a few friends, and you wave and hi, and <laughs> might go get yourself uh, you know a diet cola, and you know I'm coming, sort of, I'm coming. Yeah, exactly right. Well, so uh, really, purgatory instead of being a place, it's a process. We teach that. Purgatory is a, a cleansing, and you mentioned cleansing because that's mm-hmm. that's its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you would say, well, why do we need it? Why do we need to be cleansed? And you you touched on that as well. And to explain that, what we should probably do is we should probably read from the Book of Revelation, uh, chapter twenty one, verse twenty seven, and that uh, that verse tells us, but nothing unclean shall enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That first part of that sentence, but nothing unclean shall enter it. And that's a key phrase and something we really need to understand, not only for our non-Catholics, but our Catholics need to understand what that means. This is why we teach purgatory. We can't be unclean and be in God's presence. You know, I'll be honest with you, Deacon Jeff. I've never heard anyone put it in terms of a process. I've always heard it put in terms of as, as being a place. That's hard to get your head around wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah, but there were a lot of things that were, I think, taught to uh, people a long time ago, starting in the earliest years, where they tried to explain things in ways that people would understand. But a process implies time, and time implies a place. You've got to be somewhere for that period of time. Well, you have to understand that we are living in an A to Z world, right? We live in a linear world that right. starts here and it finishes there, alpha and omega. It's not going to go outside of that timeline. But in heaven... It's outside of chronos. It's outside of time. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at it from a, a perspective of time in heaven mm-hmm. or beyond this world. However, if you try to explain it to someone, you're going to use phraseology in we terms can, that, that we people can understand. Can understand. Right. right. So, And that's where time started to come into this. You started hearing about sins that would cause someone to spend days or, or months or years in purgatory. But in reality, the time is not the key. It's understanding the process of purification and why we need it. Now back to those burning questions. Did Catholics invent purgatory? And why do we even need purgatory? Where is purgatory in the Bible? Well, let's start at the end there. If you're looking for the word purgatory in the Bible, you won't find it. Does that make it unscriptural? No. Just like the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Good point. Yep. The word purgatory is not in the Bible. And of course, Trinity is a, is a foundational doctrine that, that all Christians teach mm-hmm. and believe and understand, right? So if that word's not used, how do you find out what the Trinity is and how the Trinity operates? Well, you look through Scripture, and you take several Scripture verses, and you put them together, and that paints a picture. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we have with purgatory. You take several Scripture verses, 
and an understanding of how God is operating in this world. And you can clearly see the Catholic understanding of purgatory. So what we want to do is, first of all, we want to understand that we're all called to perfection by God, which is a tall order, of course. And that's in Matthew 5, 48, we read, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Sounds impossible. It might very well be impossible if we're doing it on our own. Right. But if we have God, we, we, we have some help there, obviously. So let's also look and see in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 14, it says, Strive for peace with all men and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So if you're not holy, you're not going to see the Lord. You have to have that holiness. And Matthew tells us you have to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But then at the same time, we all understand, as you've pointed out, that we're all imperfect. You know, James chapter 3, verse 2, For we all make many mistakes. And if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. But that's not true. We all make many mistakes. And Romans, of course, tells us in chapter 3, you know, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. So we know that we're sinners. And I already mentioned that scripture in Revelation that says nothing unclean shall enter heaven. So what are we to do? Well, there's a very good answer for that. Purgatory. Purgatory is the wonderful answer to that burning question. We've talked a little bit about what purgatory is in general. Now we're going to get a little more specific with some scriptures. I'll tell you what, before we do that, I do want to mention that we've got a wonderful website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. You can go to this website and you can see... Many wonderful things on that website. You might see my face in a coffee cup. That's a that's a beautiful site, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know if that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but there's a button that says skip intro, and that's, that's wonderful. I've done that. Thanks for sharing, Mr. Average Catholic. So uh, so you can go to the website. We have wonderful resources there that you can, if you're curious about the Catholic faith or if you want to know more about your faith, you can go to some of these wonderful Catholic resources on the web. You can also download... This particular show and all of our previous shows, they're all listed there. We'd love for you to listen to those as often as you like. Share them with your friends. You can set up one-click podcasting. That's kind of cool. We have lots of folks doing that. And, of course, I also want to hear from you. I want you to email me. Send me an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. So we will be right back with more of these burning issues. And this is another great moment in church history. Even though you may diligently search the scriptures, you will not find the word Trinity there. Much like many other doctrines like purgatory, the Holy Trinity can be best understood in light of a combination of sacred tradition alongside sacred scripture. There's a very old and interesting tradition concerning the teaching of the Trinity, usually attributed to St. Patrick, a bishop of Ireland. When St. Patrick arrived in Ireland as a priest, the Emerald Isle was predominantly pagan, and there was a well-established practice of polytheism, the worship of multiple gods. St. Patrick made it his personal goal to win the island over to the one true God and his one church. At great personal risk, he fought tirelessly in this holy endeavor. A particular stumbling block for many of the polytheists was the Catholic understanding of the Holy Trinity. How can you say that you worship one God but pray to three, they would ask. 
St. Patrick is said to have used a very novel and successful illustration to help them understand the Trinity. Perhaps he got this idea from reading St. Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says, Ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Legend has it St. Patrick displayed a piece of shamrock, a three-leafed variety of clover common to the area. He asked those to whom he was ministering, Is this one leaf or is it three? After a thoughtful pause, they would reply, It is both one leaf and three. St. Patrick would simply say, And so it is with God. The use of the shamrock to better illustrate the Holy Trinity, one God and three persons, is still used today and serves as a wonderful starting point for discussions about the Trinity and its place as a foundational doctrine of the faith. St. Patrick was very effective as a Catholic missionary in Ireland. He personally welcomed thousands into the church through the sacrament of baptism. He ordained hundreds of Irish Catholic priests, set up many churches throughout the country, and founded many monasteries, all of which kept the fires of faith burning in Ireland for years to come. Though he was not Irish himself, the people of the Emerald Isle have taken him as their own, making him the patron saint of Ireland. His feast day is March 17th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here with Tom, who's still eating his banana cream pie. Tom, is that good? Good stuff, man. One bite at a time, though. I understand that. You've got a lot to... You're not uh, getting any. I appreciate that. Okay. I don't need any more banana cream pie, thanks, anyway. Clearly. But we do serve wonderful banana cream pie here at the Catholic Cafe. They do, indeed. That's a good thing. So, Bill... Bill yes. Drennan, our average Catholic. Above average. Above our, average. Thank you, Tom. Our above average Catholic is here. And so, Bill, uh, what have you learned thus far about purgatory? I really um, you know, like the way you talked about it being a process versus being a place. It does help to explain it in those terms a little bit better because a lot of people think that there's this, like I said, this big waiting room. But if you understand you know, purgatory is sort of like a holy car wash, that before you can go into heaven and, and be with God, you got to be clean. Right. You've got to be holy, and the only way to do this is to have all of that remaining attachment to sin, all those sins while forgiven that are still scar tissue on our souls have to be burned away, mm-hmm. removed, so that we can truly be in the presence of God. Right, and it, it seems like as we live our life, you know, we're always striving, I think, for more holiness, but like we talked about in the first half, it's just it's so it's such an impossible task, and we, you know, we need purgatory for that final cleansing to, well, that's, to go that's, home. That is the beauty of God's plan. I mean, he's got it covered. I mean, that's why we don't need to worry about so much. We need to do right. the best that we can and know that God's got it covered. And speaking of the word cover, you know, that, that whole concept that our souls are totally depraved and incapable of being perfected and that Jesus's action on the cross actually covers our sinfulness. It doesn't remove it Still, deep down inside, we're imperfect, mm-hmm. you know, and we are still sinful creatures, e- even though we're, you know, technically covered. And that's why it's important for us to understand as Catholics that, you know, if nothing unclean is going to 
enter, you know, God's got x-ray vision. He can see inside that right. covering. Even though he's the one covering, he still sees your imperfect soul. And this, this process of purification is exactly what the doctor ordered when it comes to moving us into the eternal kingdom with the Father. Well, let's take a few minutes and let's talk a little bit more about some more scriptures that, uh, that point to purgatory. Remember we talked about the fact that, you know, you can look all you want for the word purgatory. You're not going to find it. But you can go through the Bible and find several verses that teach us about what purgatory would be and how it would be applied to us. Mm -hmm. And two of those important verses that I want to bring up, one is uh, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 25 and 26, where it says, Make friends quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. Some translations say paid the last copper. But the point is, you're being judged, you're being sent to prison, but you're able to get out of that prison, and you're able to pay your way out. Is it fair to say that someone might look at that and go, well, how did you get purgatory out of that? If you're being judged and you're sent to prison, is that not Jesus saying you're going to hell? Sure. Well, this says you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. In other words, you can pay for something to get out. No one teaches that you can get out of hell. Hell is an eternal punishment. Right. So that must be something other than hell. Now, it doesn't say the words purgatory there. However, combine that passage, right, with this next passage I'm going to read from, from St. Paul, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Each man's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, if you're being burned, this makes you think, uh, you know, someone looking at this right off the bat would think, well, that's, this is hell. We're talking about the fires of hell, eternal damnation. But it says right here, though he himself will be saved. How could you possibly be saved from hell? You can't be saved. Right. So what is this fire burning? What is it doing? Well, it's burning off all of his attachment to sin. It's burning off all those sins that he didn't repent for properly. It's burning off while he may have died in God's good graces. God loved him. God wants him in heaven, but he needed to have a final purification. Mm -hmm. And I think you can only look at the Catholic perspective and get an answer for what those two verses mean. Otherwise, they're very difficult passages to... You could go a lot of different ways with it. Right, and you could, you'd be tap dancing, basically, right. to try to explain what that could possibly mean. But while we're on that subject of fire, I do want to talk a little bit about this concept that how did God reveal himself through the centuries? When he physically appeared to man, how did he appear all through the Old Testament and even in the New Testament? How does he appear? Fire, fire. It's Enjoy fire, with and absolutely. Moses and at the Red Sea. That's right. Well, let's let's read let's read some of those scriptures. Uh, you know, God appeared to Abram, who was soon to become Abraham, in Genesis chapter fifteen, verse seventeen. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. And these are the offerings that Abram had put uh, out there for God. Uh, and then God appeared to Moses in uh, Exodus chapter 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And of course, God appeared to Israel 
uh, as they were going through the desert, in Exodus chapter 40, for throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. And God appeared to Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. In the New Testament, God appeared to the apostles on Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we read, And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each one of them. Um, God appears at the last judgment. It's mentioned in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels of flaming fire. So what could all this fire possibly mean? So if you take that imagery of fire, God always appearing as fire. I mean, remember, God is revealing himself to his people from the very beginning through the prophets, but also in real appearances to people. And he's always appearing as fire. Mm -hmm. And now take into account those passages we just read. For instance, the passage in 1 Corinthians about a man being saved, but only as through fire. Right. But helps put it in perspective. Exactly. And there's also some, some wonderful uh, scripture quotes that we can pull from, like Isaiah chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Then flew one of the seraphim to me, having in his hand a burning coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Hmm. And of course, the word seraphim, this angel, the word seraphim actually literally means burning ones. Hmm. These are God's burning holy angels. So again, there's this concept of burning and the forgiveness of sin. So this idea that God is appearing as fire makes perfect sense if you understand that that fire is going to cleanse us, Mm -hmm. is going to purify us. Just like a metal worker takes gold or, or silver and by burning it super fire red hot, you know, it burns away all those impurities and what's left is this beautiful shining piece of silver pure silver or pure gold, that's what's going on That's here. a very good image to help grasp it. Yeah, that is. Another point, too, is uh, besides the Bible, we have the early church fathers and what they think about purgatory. Well, absolutely. You know, we want to make sure that whatever our doctrine we're discussing is something that has always been with the church, and the church has always taught this. And purgatory is exactly one of those doctrines. I think a lot of people recognize, for instance, uh, St. Augustine, you know, one of the great doctors of the church, you know, and what he actually taught about purgatory. Uh, St. Augustine says, Temporary punishments are suffered by some in this life only, by others after death, by others both now and then, but all of them before the last and strictest judgment. But of those who suffer temporary punishments after death, all are not doomed to those everlasting pains which are to follow that judgment. So what he's saying again is, you may suffer punishment after death but it's not necessarily going to be eternal eternal damnation what he's doing is he's telling us that yes you're going to be purged from your sinfulness and saint augustine is saying here that it's going to be painful but he does obviously teach and preach purgatory and that's always been the case and there are many more references to purgatory it seems like when we talk about heaven and hell it's they're so far out there and it's hard to sometimes get our arms around it. Yeah. In purgatory, it can even complicate it further. But it's just that that word process keeps coming back to me. It just it helps me understand that it's it just does. you know it's just it's what we pass through to cleanse and be pure to get to, to get to heaven. The holy car wash. 
the holy car wash. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, you, you, we have got to be purified to stand you know, in the presence of God. And that's what, that's what purgatory is. The interesting thing about purgatory is that many of the early saints used to pray, not that they would go to heaven, but they would pray that they would go to purgatory because then they knew that they were going to make it to heaven because there's only one place to go when you're in the process of purgation. You're on your way to heaven for sure. Hmm. Now, as we start to wrap up here, I do want to touch on another topic just to clarify a bit. I want to make sure people understand that the Catholic Church does not teach that everyone will go through purgatory. In fact, if you, uh, if you die with a mortal sin, an unconfessed mortal sin, still in your soul, you're not in God's good grace. I mean, the very nature of mortal sin is, is sin that can kill. Hence the word mortal. Right. You've turned against God. And obviously, there's only one destination for that particular soul. What we're talking about when we talk about purgatory is we're talking about folks who are on their way to heaven. They're in God's good grace, but there may still be an imperfection. There may still be an attachment to sin. That's what's going to get burned away. So it's important to understand that if you have an opportunity in this life to deal with that, you can lessen the amount that has to be burned away. In fact, one of the early church fathers, St. Caesarius of Ares, uh, around 522 A.D. in one of his sermons... He wrote, Or if anyone knows that these sins dominate him, if he does not do penance worthily and for a long time, if such time is given him, he cannot be purged in that transitory fire of which the apostle spoke. But the eternal flames will torture him without any remedy. Let's break that down a bit. If anyone knows that these sins dominate him, if he's a sinful person, he knows it. But if he does not do the penance that he's received... He's not going to be purged. That means he's got that mortal sin in his soul that he refused to confess and do his penance. He can't be purged in that transitory fire, which is purgatory. So way back in the 6th century, the early 6th century, they have a pretty good understanding of what's going on in purgatory. But all of this put together, we look at the whole thing one more time. We realize that purgatory is a wonderful, beautiful gift. That comes from God. Helps put it in perspective. Very nice. So, Bill, Tom, I've really enjoyed this discussion about uh, purgatory. I hope that our listeners have a better understanding of what purgatory is, what the Catholic Church teaches about purgatory. Good stuff. Yeah, and I think, uh, Bill, we need to have you come back as our average, I'm sorry, our above average Thank Catholic. Thank you. Always above average. It's been fun watching Tom put down that banana cream pie. <laughs> yeah, it looked good. It looked good, Tom. My friends. So, uh, I'll tell you what, though. Let's, uh, let's as we always do, let's uh, raise this up to the Lord and let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, you call us to be perfect as you are perfect, to strive for the holiness that you made each one of us capable of. Father, cleanse us of our sin and rid us of that tendency towards sin so that we might come to live with you in eternity. We ask you to grant this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at The Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.